You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Howdy, 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 right here on the Land of Legacy podcast on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we are coming to you on Saturday, Saturday morning, drinking Rise the coffee. That's right, Saturday morning. Um, we are doing things a little bit differently, and, and just when you think the podcast couldn't get any more laid back, unplanned, no notes. This is the sound of my computer closing. Ready? <laughs> no notes no notes it, this away. is totally flying by the seat of our pants podcast you're devoted. wearing pants no i'm sorry <laughs> i am darn right because Woo, that just this got actually isn't saturday morning when we record this so i'm still wearing the clothes that i worked in at the farm so here we are going into the very first podcast now we have mm-hmm. done this in the past yeah but as time progressed we actually have adapted or we're kind of going more into the habitat, land management, property management, overall land, rather than more in the hunting side of the, of the world. We bring it in, we touch on it, um, but don't just kind of dive headfirst most times into strictly hunting. And, and, and that kind of has evolved to where we our podcast is our habitat podcast is devoted to that, but we didn't have time to cover hunting strategies. And that's where this podcast comes in. I know you guys, hopefully a lot of you guys aren't, um, maybe you don't even listen to our other podcasts, but hopefully you enjoy this one because it's devoted to all the things you love about hunting and how to become more successful hunting or little tips and tricks. Maybe you're already the biggest, baddest turkey killer, deer killer um, this side of the Mississippi, but you want a few more tricks to throw at them, and that's w- hopefully what you can learn right here on this podcast. So this week, it is April something, and you're probably chasing long beards. And, or thinking about it. Or thinking about beards. it. If you're like us, uh, this is going to release on Saturday morning, and turkey season is going to start here in Missouri on Monday. So we're just trying to gear up. The Maybe 14th you're out. of April. It's going to release. 14th of April, and turkey season in Missouri starts the 16th. So this podcast will hopefully help you tag that Tom this Monday morning, or um, who knows, tag that Tom wherever it is and whatever day it is you're hunting. So, um, 
and and specifically this week's podcast is devoted to early season turkey hunting strategies. And I know when it comes to early season hunting, there's a lot of things and it changes, but typically early season, no matter where you're at, I think, uh, from from my experience from Florida, the very first season that opens up in the spring the beginning to, of March to, all the way to the to the opener in Maine or in Wisconsin. What comes to mind for me, early season, like if you want to say, wow, that's tough is Nebraska because, mm-hmm. you know, Florida opens up in early March and then like Texas and Mississippi and other states start jumping in. But the Midwest, the first one to really open up is Nebraska, Nebraska. with the early bow. Um, and that's late March. And I've hunted it three or four years. And it was March 25th of this year. It it's opened so, up. it's usually cold. Oh, and bitter. They're in the, the places I've hunted, they're in huge flocks. And so you're calling, and, and it sounds like a stinking turkey farm. And it's like, <laughs> it's like you just hear hens yelping nonstop, and uh, you just hear turkeys gobbling all up and down the rivers, and then they fly down, and there's 200 of them out in the field. So you, calling was very difficult, and you had to do different things. And uh, so this week we're going to talk about some of the early season strategies that we've used to successfully tag toms early during turkey season. I, I feel like no matter where you're at, what state you're hunting, everyone wants to be successful opening day. You just want to kick off season really well and get on gobbling birds and kill them right off the roost. But a lot of times that can be tough. That very can be very tough at the beginning of a season to have that start. Um, now, I say that because if you're someone who just says, okay, it's Monday morning, season opens up, and we go listen, listen for one to gobble on the roost, I'm going to it, going to call, sit down, do my do that work, um, You know, it can be difficult. However, if you've done homework leading up to season and, and scouted and done that preseason work, it becomes a lot easier because a lot of times birds are still flocked up, like we talked about there, Adam shared that experience in Nebraska, they're still flocked up and they're routine. They have a pattern to their, to their basically gobbling hard on the roost, flying down, scratching a little bit, working out to a field, bird struts in the strut zone all morning. They filter, they loaf, come back in mid afternoon, do the same thing, fly up. Like there's a, there's more of a pattern to the early season. If you can scout and prepare yourself for that, than late season pattern and in many different ways pattern of traditional roost sites pattern of traditional spots that they're going to hang out in fields um like i think of some of the scouting i've done here in missouri during this early season that leads up to the success i've had is you just know what field they're going to be in like they're going to fly down and 30 minutes after fly down they're going to come to this field and they're going to almost said a word a fiddle fart I haven't ever said that on a podcast. <laughs> you know, fiddle fart out there. They're going to fiddle fart out there in the field um, to where you, you just know they're going to be there. And sometimes that's the most frustrating thing is, oh, I know they're going to be here. And you set up and you're like, okay, I'm going to call them in. And then they just, they do their normal fiddle farting around, you know? Yeah. And you're just like, ah, how do I, how do I tag these birds? And then a week later you go out there and, they're not in their normal roost site. And then you're like, oh, he's over here. And you go over there, you call a few times, you fly down, 
he flies comes down and comes right to you and you're yeah. just like but that was easy why didn't you do that last week and it's just that early season um time where a lot of times they're still flocked up they're still hard they're hard-headed they're tr- hard to call off of hens there's uh, there's strength in numbers when it comes to birds in the flock there's a lot of attention that basically these gobblers are trying to give to all these different hens. So for you to present yourself in a manner that wants to pull that entire flock to you, to your location, can be tough if you're actively calling. So that's like in the scouting sense, if you know they have a pattern, whether trail cameras or you're visually seeing them um, or you're just listening to the gobbles as he on the roost flies down, works out to a field, you just know his pattern. Honestly, sometimes as much as you want to call early season, if you have a bird or a flock that is doing the same thing and you know they're going to be here, sometimes it's best just to sit there and wait them out. That's not how I would prefer to kill a turkey, but because there's the strength in the numbers and the strength in trying to pull that gobbler away from a group or call that entire group in, that can be difficult early season to do that. For sure, for sure. So another thing that comes to mind is, okay, what are the, some of the other techniques or advantages that I can put in my favor to convince that entire flock, hey, come on, or piss that gobbler off among the flock and say, you come within gun range. You're going to make me put the, what is it, explicit or oh. whatever. <laughs> Did I say, oh, I said piss off. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> so... I'm going to make myself put that M for mature. Uh, mature turkey hunters only. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there's a bunch of different things you could do. But first, let's talk about decoy strategies early yes. season. Um, early season, like just like we said, a lot of times they're flocked up. And it's always, you know, we say early season, and we're going to base this off of numbers. Early season numbers as far as traditionally what we deal with in early season. Not to say you're not going to go out and have a bird that's lonely and just scream and gobble all his way in, but for the most part, early season, we're referring to bigger flocks or at least grouped up birds that don't want to respond to calls because they already have hens with them, and the toms are sorting out dominance, but they're still trying to hang close to those hens. So we can use that sorting out of dominance to our advantage when it comes to decoying during early season. Yes, big time. Uh, I think of um, one of the easiest ways or the most successful ways that you can have during early season is throwing out a full strut tom. Boom. Uh, it's it, so It just grabs attention. Mm-hmm. It commands a feel when birds enter and they already see a strutter and maybe you have another hen decoy out there. And even if you don't, it still is wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I'm here. I'm present. I beat you. I'm in, I'm in your strut zone. Yeah. I'm here. I, it, it basically infuriates them. Oh, it, it's basically so, the sorting out of dominance. We're using it to our advantage. We're trying to make him mad and say, "Boy, he's moved in on my on my ladies, and he's I'm going to go." My girls. And I'm the man in this field. What's he doing over there in strut? Because yep. strutting is a form of dominance. So if he sees another Tom doing that, he's thinking, "What are you doing, dude? That's my woman. Yep. This is my field, dog. Get out of here." These are my girls. And uh, so he ends up trying to come in and and that's when i say full strut tom i always want to i i don't know if i've ever the only time i probably never put a hen out with a full strut tom is when i just didn't want to carry the hen decoy too yeah, yeah. but i almost always have a hen with the tom and it just makes it look a more realistic and so i put those out a few feet apart and 
the tom is facing the hen and it looks like he's just kind of moving in he's trying to show his stuff and it's just trying to make those other toms mad and that has been for me early season that's the most the best success i've had at decoying large flocks mm-hmm. um, and i've had success early season um using a, a half strut quarter strut jake decoy as well that red head that bright red head um on a decoy and those puffed out feathers again doesn't completely say hey i'm i'm showing off but it still says i've got another male turkey with a hen in my strut zone what are you doing here they may come in investigate check it out so you know if you don't have a full strut decoy a jake a quarter strut jake showing some dominance is still going to be um still basically share and and get out that message of hey there's there's someone else. To Boy, me, boys are back in town. To me, I think a uh, when I'm trying to figure out if I want to use a Jake or a half strut versus a full strut is trying to understand basically the attitude of that Tom. Is he a and hopefully you, if you've done some scouting, you'll understand of how he is in the field. If he's really a bully and he's trying to and he's constantly running Jakes around or other Toms around, then I'm going to use a full strut. But if I'm really unsure, I feel like a half strut or a or even a Jake decoy is a little more conservative approach. Mm-hmm. I feel like a full strut is a hey, bam, I'm here. I know Hail Mary, this is just yeah, this is it right here. But a half strut's kind of or a, a Jake is just kind of one of those like eh, there's hey a Jake over guys. here, yeah, but I don't know if I'm dominant. But um, I. Let's just be honest. I probably use a Jake or a half strut more than I use a full strut. Mm-hmm. But I hunt more timber birds than the open field birds. If yeah. I'm hunting open field birds, I'll probably use a full strut more. But I like the kind of conservativeness because I feel like it's more of a neutral positive for for Tom or neutral positive for the experience of of success of um, of using a Jake or half strut. While a full strut is kind of that. It can be a positive, but it can also be a negative. A tom that's not dominant could come into the field, see that full strut, go the other way because he doesn't want to get whooped again. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like a, a submissive tom that's uh, he's not dominant, he may still come in because of the jig decoy. Yeah, And, and that's, that's kind of my approach. Early season is to use those supplemented with a hen. Well, we, decoy. Sh- we shared it, um, and I, I guess actually this podcast is going to release before the podcast that we recorded for um, – Tuesday, the 17th, I guess, that is going to come out. But we shared a story um, of a hunt last year, opening day, that we had two Longbeards commit to a quarter strut Jake decoy and a hen that was placed out in the middle of the field. Those two gobblers didn't necessarily have hens that were they were associated with directly in the field that they were strutting in. They were kind of the, the outskirts, the outcast of that big flock. But they were much easier to commit to that Jake decoy and say, hey, what is that over there in the other field? Crossed a massive creek and came in to investigate. And we're, if we, if you guys had allowed them to, they would have worked all the way down to the decoys. Yeah. Um, but just that presence of uh, a Jake and a hen early season broadcasted, hey, there's something there's something happening over there. And and to those birds who were less dominant in the area, we had we had fooled with or or seen um 
I think a larger have, bird. I think we saw it unfold a little differently because what I saw were the two toms that came in running Jake's around, and then we called, and they came over. I thought there was another bird. There was another one that went the other way, but the hens were all with the birds that we saw and killed. They were in this side of the field. Really? So the tom that ran the other way, which had the rope, he left the flock. So I, I, the way I understood it was he got ran off or whatever, and then these two toms were looping and then saw our decoys and came over. Interesting. Um, okay. And of course, that's I was either, setting up. Either way, yeah, you were, you were up closer, but I've had, I guess, instances where I've had subdominant birds Almost like a satellite, a satellite elk bull, or right? Satellite bull. They're come not a hundred percent into that flock, not a hundred percent committed, and they're much easier to pull and call off. Yes. But in this scenario, that you saw it a little differently, I you saw like these were, were the bullies. These were the bullies, definitely. And they came to investigate, but either way, like like we said earlier, that quarter strut, half strut Jake decoy is a neutral or positive, and both of those situations just described that we've seen and experienced. That that decoy was a perfect match for that setup, that scenario, and that situation early season. That's what we see typically. Yep. You know, another scenario that often see during early season, and this can be, I think, extremely frustrating, is what we refer to as the courtesy gobble. Oh, that just is. I would almost rather hear a. Bird, or rather have a bird not gobble than give me a courtesy gobble. Yes. The courtesy gobble is just like, <coughs> it, it would almost be like, let's just put this back to dating in uh, high school. I already, I already have a you scenario You get the girl that texts you, hey, and you respond, <laughs> hey, hey, girl, what's up? And she never responds again. That's just like, did, did she mean to send that text? Was like, that a wrong text? Was that, that and, wrong? And then you're like. Wrong you, Adam. You're I like, was the wrong Adam. You, you, you like put the phone away and you're like, I, I, I'll just ignore it. And then you like text it. Was, was that supposed to be sent to me? And, okay, cool. See you tomorrow in school. And then you just try to play it off cool, but it's just not cool at all. And not you blew cool it. You totally blew it. And uh, and that's what I feel like with a courtesy gobble. It's just enough to frustrate the heck out of you. In, in that situation we find is, okay, birds have, have flown down off the roost they've gotten together in, in their flock the the gobbler he's strutting you're trying to you may, you may have left that initial bird you were working on the roost and you're trying to cut and run and just get a bird that's fired up um find that right tom who's at the right situation to call in and you're you're running you're covering ground and all of a sudden you rip out a call you cut and he gobbles and you're like okay it's on it's on you've responded he's here i'm getting set up you get down and you call. No. And, and I you think wait. there's a lot of things that happens no. on a when you get a bird to gobble one time. Now, yes, I think there's a difference here in a courtesy gobble and a shock blast. Oh, yeah. Um, and a shock blast gobble is the one that's really close, blows your hat off, <sighs> and you're like, whoa, and you all jump down, and then you like start calling soft, and he never gobbles again. A lot of times, and, and both of these instances, um, between the shock gobble the like sound blast gobble that's really close blows your hat off um and the courtesy gobble i believe what i've seen a lot like from observing fields or from long ways and see that is to where i could see the bird respond to me is he's got hens with him he gobbles and the hens immediately start heading the other way exactly and when they head the other way that tom 
pops out a strut and starts walking right behind him, and he's focused on keeping up with those hens rather than what you're doing back there. And, and, and most of the times when you get that one gobble and nothing after that, that's what happens. Or you, or, get, you get the one gobble. That and was close. Like, well, you get that one gobble initially, and you sit down, you're, you're kind of calling a little bit softer. You're not broadcasting out there as, as far, and you're calling. And then you're like, gosh, let me just – He's not responding. I haven't heard anything. It's, it's a half hour. Then you get up, you stand up, you're like, let me hit him one more time. And you rip on it again. And he gobbles, and he's like another 400 yards you know, further away. You're like, well, that was hens. He just shut up. They just yep. took him away, let no, him away. And, and, or not, and the another thing to consider with that is he may not even heard you when you started calling soft. And you have to understand on how far he is and whether or not your sound is getting to him. Um, cause there's a lot of things that uh, a lot of times where uh, I see this a lot hunting with other people is to where mm-hmm. there's this miscommunication where I don't think he hears you, um, or I don't think he hears us. We better call a little louder just because I want to make sure he knows where I'm at. Yeah. A turkey's uh, ability to pinpoint sound is, is unreal. Um, throughout even areas of topography where we hunt out a lot, they can pinpoint that sound and it, and its origin. So you it is to your benefit to make sure that turkey hears and you know he knows where you're at and then maybe dial it down. But if you start to call and he's not ever hearing it, you're not getting anywhere. You're not getting any closer to killing that bird. Yeah, no, I, you definitely, he has to know where you're at. Um, and a lot of times the only way for him to know where you're at is calling. So I'm not scared to call to a bird a little louder than than what you might think. Now, I say that very hesitantly to because I don't want you to call too much too loud like Will Primos said for years when I was watching the Primos videos, but definitely want to let him know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And uh, that So when it comes to early season calling strategies, one thing to consider is um, a lot of times they're still flocked up. So you really have to check the temperatures not only of the tom – but of the hens. Big time. And this is something to consider when you make that first tree yelp of the morning or it's still dark and you're waiting for things to start waking up and as the sun starts to kind of crawl and you start to see shapes in the trees and shapes, um, you can see a little bit more. Listen to see what the hens are saying. The hens aren't talking and you know they're there. They're not a talkative flock. They're probably not going to want to be around a talkative hen like yourself. So it's one thing to check that temperature, understand if they're talking a bunch of hens. If they're not, kind of ease, play very conservatively with your calling. Do a little more scratching of the leaves, um, making those natural sounds, a couple wing beats like you're flying down. That's why Matt and I always carry a wing with us to kind of make those natural sounds of, of a wing a wing scratching the tree behind you, kind of sounding like a hen stretching, stretching in the morning and then making the fly down and then take that leaf or that wing and scratch those leaves in the sound of a of a hen scratching around feeding just a it's it's not only just a a natural thing that happens but it's also a a comforting thing yeah like if they don't hear that let's think about it from that aspect they're all they hear is a, a fly down cackle and no wing baits well, that's a little it different. Sounds right? weird. Sounds weird. It naturally happens, so let's la- let's just keep everything as natural as possible. Like when we sit down at a tree, it doesn't honestly really matter where we're at or what time of the day it is. When we sit down with our back against a tree, that wing comes out. That's the first thing that comes out of the back of the, the vest is 
just in case I need to close in a turkey or I need to sound like a turkey that's really realistic, I want that wing at my side, not in the back of my vest, to be able to make those natural sounds that a turkey may hear as it's approaching. Um, and those are sounds to make all season long. Yes. The wing beats, the scratching of the leaves. And another important thing, those natural sounds, is the very soft clucks and soft yelps. And when I say soft, I mean as soft as to where 30 yards away, you're going to have hard time with human ears hearing it um, clearly. And it's just it's those sounds that turkeys make that you don't hear until you're really close to them. And they're comfortable. And, and that's one of those – that's a point that I would like to make to where those sounds are – I make a lot to where a first time a hunter that may set with me the first time may say, "Dang, he calls a lot," but those are the sounds that aren't um, that the turkeys make a lot, but you don't hear a lot of because uh, you have to be really close to hear it. So I, I feel like those are the sounds, and I grew up fall turkey hunting a lot, a lot with my dad. My dad loved to fall turkey hunt, and those are the sounds that in the fall time you can hear and hear as birds are congregating back together. Um, whether it might be a, a kiki or the soft purrs, a lot of times you're hearing scratching and leaves um, and those soft clucks as birds are, are getting grouped back up together. You hear them become a lot more vocal, but you have to spend time, honestly, almost among a flock to be able to hear that and replicate that. I think, honestly, TV, television, and films, turkey films, glorifies cutting um, and yelping almost too much um because that it, fly it's down excitement cackles. it's the hail call of of <laughs> yeah. duck hunting yeah is the fly down cackle and excited cutting <coughs> now hens do excited cuts a lot but they do a lot more soft clucks and yelps i think that i have killed probably more turkeys with simple clucks and not just a series of clucks but single clucks than probably more than any other calls I would probably, uh, for me, I would take a um, a mouth call and a wing bone before and leave all the other calls. If you if you gave yeah. me two tools, um, a box call, a slate call, laid them all out there, and I could only take two, I'd take a mouth call and a probably a three read mouth call or two and a half read mouth call with a combo cut or a bat wing cut and a wing, and that's what I would take. That's it. Um, because you can make more realistic sounds with those two than you can combination of all the others and and you have more versatility to close out those birds so uh, a box call sounds great in the right conditions but i have a hard time closing them out certain states you need a box call for that sound to just carry because you're covering a long distance but not every situation um, needs a box call and if you haven't gotten to a point where you may feel comfortable running a diaphragm strongly encourage you to to get comfortable get to that stage where you can put in a mouth call and make a cluck. You can make purrs. You can make yelps. You can put all those together and you can finish out a turkey with a diaphragm. When I be, when I started turkey hunting, um, of course I started running on a, a, a friction call, a glass surface call, and I closed out turkeys with it, but I quickly learned that if I hunt on my own, I don't have whether my dad behind me calling I need to learn how to get a turkey to close that magical distance, that that 180-yard distance to 30, and it's these soft clucks and purrs that are going to be able to make you do that. 
and on a on a regular basis. Yep. Um, I th- I think uh, early season calling is something that's really g- going back to what I said now about uh, uh, testing the temperature of the hens in the flock. Now, you hear a couple of hens really kind of start tree yelping and get pretty excited, and they might do a fly down cackle and and. Uh, Another way to really test that temperature is the first, if you make those first real soft tree yelps um, and you hear one kind of yelp back, it's like, oh, she wants to have a conversation. She wants to engage in this relationship. Okay. And you call a little bit more. You do another tree yelp a few minutes later and she calls back. Okay. Good deal. And you fly down and maybe you don't do a fly down cackle. I'm not a real, I don't fly down cackle a whole lot unless I just want to get, get after it. And, and this bird is really gobbling. I've tested his temperature and he's gobbling everything. I'll do it just because it's fun. Um, but once I hit the ground and she hits the ground and I call and she calls back, that's when I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. And a lot of times you can call in the flock. And I've done this. I remember one of the first birds, one of the best birds I killed at a young age was a three bearded. He had an 11-inch beard, a 10-inch beard, and a 9-inch beard, something like that. And he weighed 25 pounds. He had an inch and three-eighth spurs. He was a really good bird. We called in the entire flock because we got a hen excited and somewhat irritated at us, and she came looking for us and drug him along. Um, and that was a that was an opening day or a second day of season to where we tested the temperature of the hen. She flew down. We called, she called, we got in this whole mocking game to where she yelped five-note five yelp, we did a five-note yelp. She did a five-note yelp with two cuts and then another three-note yelp, we did the same thing. And we got to where it was like when you, I know you're a younger brother, so the you did this, where you played the mimic, uh, the mimic yep. game or I don't know, Robbie repeat game to where you just, you repeated her to where she got so irritated. She just marched up the ridge to us and brought him in tow. And, and that was to me early season. That's one of the best approaches in trying to call in a flock is not necessarily trying to call in the Tom, try to call in the hens. Well, And that's, that's a, an important thing to keep in mind. But another thing that I, I don't think gets enough attention from, from Turkey hunters is we see, you know, a social dominance through, you know, the males, gobblers sorting out dominance typically early season or prior to season starting they're flogging one another they're fighting they're they're strutting hard in in fields um but what's important to note is that the hens have a social hierarchy as well like there's there's hens that are more vocal in the group that are that are what i would say is a boss hen you've heard that phrase all the time like there's still a hierarchy there as well and if you can get on the nerves of that boss hen who might be vocal or may not be that vocal, just depends. If you can do that, man, you, you've escalated your chances of bringing in that flock. Um, she may be the, the bird that leads you know the, the flock around a lot. You can, you can tick her off. You, you, you're in a, a great situation um, to basically kill a bird early season. I think those, those tactics, um, scouting, um, figuring out where birds are going, the direction, understanding the temperature of the gobbler, the hens, learning how to call, make make the the same type of calls, the natural calls that turkeys make day in and day out. And and know your land, too. Ooh. Are you a timber country or field country? Are you open or, or clo- basically timber or open field? 
and for us, it, that totally decides on how we're going to decoy and and really hunt our birds. If you're in timber country, I almost never use a strutting tom, and the only time I've really ever used one is when I'm hunting the one of the two fields that we were hunting uh, out in, and and it was still a flocked up flocked up uh, turkey, because I've had when when the first strutters came out. We were like, oh, man, we're watching on TV. It was really popular. We stuck them in the woods, and it was like we might as well threw an orange vest over it. <laughs> it was just not going to work. And so if I'm hunting fields, though, that's a great approach. But timber country birds are a lot different, and I will say that my biggest advice on timber country birds decoying is don't surprise them. Nope. You have to let them know what's in the area and, and by your calling, and then also – don't stick it in a spot to to where they're going to get to 20 yards or 30 yards in and go, whoa, where did she come from? So a lot of times I still only use one or two hens in the timber. Um, and I may throw a jake in if it's flocked up turkeys, but that's more open woods and edges, little small fields or food plots. Um, but if I'm in really dense timber, I'm still just using one or two hens. Like. In terrain country, that that's another big thing. Don't surprise turkeys on the edges of slopes and hills. So basically the first thing that they see is whoop, a big turkey's head sitting right there. I don't know how many times we have to in situations if we want to stick a decoy out is put it put a decoy behind us or off off, off set to from the us. right. Yeah. yeah. That basically if they do come up, there's something that is going to attract their attention. But they're small knolls where you don't have enough room to work with. You're going to pinch them down. They're going to want to periscope you anyhow. Prairie they're, dog and prairie scoping yeah. you, whatever you want to call it, where they're just they're going to play peekaboo with you. Give, give them room to work. Yes. Don't yeah. pinch them down and put them in a position where they're going to give you one look and be gone. Because yep. a lot of times, especially with the camera involved, you don't have well, a one look is not going to give you enough opportunity to kill a bird. You remember so. two years ago when we were hunting and they kept prairie dogging us like crazy yeah. where they were just, we, oh. we, well, we hunted for like, we hunted two days, I think right in a row. We were on turkeys sun up till one o'clock when Missouri closes. And that first day we, we were on birds. I mean, all throughout the day, but they just kept uh, periscoping. And then the next morning, Right there um, at Flydown, they flew down super early and pretty much pitched in our lap. And it was, I remember running the camera, I was i was gained all the way up. It was dark in the temper. And uh, they tried it again, I, and, and I wasn't having it. No, it was like, are you on it? No, I'm not on it. Are you on it? I see a head. Boom. That was it. But that, yeah. that was the opportunity that he was going to give. He was yeah. already They were already skirting. on edge. Yep. Yeah. So definitely one of those things to watch out to. But Anyway, I think that pretty well wraps up. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to keep these tips and strategies relatively short, kind of fast-paced. Unless we have a long topic. Yeah. Um, but this week was just early hunting strategies, and hopefully you guys learned something and, and have a take join us the, uh, next week, and hopefully you'll join us on the Habitat Land podcast on Tuesdays on Sportsman's Nation. But until then, uh, I guess we will see you guys next time, and we'll have hunting. more turkey hunting strategies for you next week. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram.
feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? 